much to say, and it went over a bit, and since I can't say any less, I'm just going to have to say it faster, <laughs> so you're going to have to stay with me this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5, we're going to be reading some verses from both of those. You know, there are two times, two periods of times in life when we are at risk uh, spiritually with a peculiar kind of danger. Um, those two times are exact opposites. We are at special spiritual risk when everything is going well and there are no problems and uh, life is just on easy street. There's a tendency to sit back and rest on our laurels and uh, say, look at all I've done. And uh, to kind of get a little uh, sassy and a little lax in our uh, dependence on God. The other time is exactly the opposite, when life is in the pressure cooker. And all of uh, the troubles are coming in and piling on top of us. And basically, as I put it in the title, life is beating us up. And we just feel like we're going to collapse under the weight of the burdens and the trials and the problems that are pressing in upon us. Um, Paul tells the Philippians, he said, I have learned in both of these states how to be content. He said, I've learned how to abound and I've learned how to be abased. And I found that Jesus Christ is my sufficiency and my ability in both situations. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The um, writer of Proverbs put it a little differently. He said, Lord, don't give me so much that uh, I kind of get uh, lax and forget about you, or so little that I feel the poverty and am tempted to steal. But uh, just put me in, in that middle road. But Paul said, I've learned in Jesus Christ that I can handle uh, either extreme because of Christ, not because of me, but because of Him. And in 2 Corinthians uh, chapters 4 and 5, he gives us some insight into his own life experiences and some of his testimony. I'd like you to uh, follow with me as I read Beginning in verse 7 of chapter 4, Paul says, But this precious treasure, this light and power that now shine within us. He's talking about the glory of God manifested in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are literally, in New Testament teaching, we are literally containers of God. He lives inside of us. And he lives through us. And Paul says we have this precious treasure in perishable containers. That is, in our weak bodies. So everyone can see our glorious power is from God. It's not our own. We are pressed on every side by troubles. But we're not crushed and broken. We are perplexed. But we don't give up and quit. We're hunted down. But God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. Through suffering, these bodies of ours constantly share in the death of Jesus, 
so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be obvious in our dying bodies. We live in the face of death, but it has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, and so I speak. We know that the same God who raised our Lord Jesus also will raise us with Jesus and present us to Himself along with you. All these things are for your benefit. And as God's grace brings us more and more, brings more and more people to Christ, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed day by day for our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurable great glory that will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen, for the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God Himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long for the day when we will be uh, put on, putting on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. I'm going to stop there, just in the interest of time. But I want to say that in these verses, Paul outlines for us three kinds of dangers that he has experienced, that he knows firsthand uh, in the extreme. He talks about the mental and emotional pressures that he has felt uh, and the weight of his responsibilities and burdens and all of the opposition that has come against him. Mental and emotional kinds of pressure. He says, <clears throat> perplexed, I'm, I'm downtrodden, I'm <clears throat> distressed, and I have these things coming against me. He also talks about physical danger and risk to life itself. Uh, you know, back uh, a number of years ago, probably World War II, the Korean War, we were still talking about soldiers who experienced shell shock. Um, we have revised that terminology probably about the time of Vietnam to where we have recognized that there are actually a plethora of symptoms that go along with people who have begun to crumble under the constant pressure and threat of their lives on a daily basis. And we now call that post-traumatic stress syndrome. And as people have been uh, studying that phenomena, they've realized that it doesn't just occur with soldiers. Thank you. It doesn't just occur with soldiers who are um, in times of war, but it occurs in the lives of people who have been in similar kinds of stress. Uh, people who have been in traumatic car accidents where perhaps there's been loss of life. People that have been in other kinds of tragedies. People that have been under a constant strain of abuse and pressure. People that survived the World Trade Center bombings and so on and so forth, that people who have gone through 
these kinds of extremes in life where their very lives for the moment were at risk. Uh, many times succumb to post-traumatic stress symptoms. And it forms kind of a, 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 what we call a syndrome in their lives. Paul said, I was one of those people that understands what it's like to be literally uh, with my life at risk on a regular basis. And I've been under that kind of pressure. And then he says, uh, there's sheer physical exhaustion. He said, we grow weary in our present bodies. Have you ever been so tired that you just kind of collapse at the end of the day on the bed and you think, I don't think I can move another muscle? Um, I, I've had times when I've been so exhausted that uh, I've said to my family, I don't think I could get out of this bed if the house were on fire. Now, the reality is that adrenaline kicks in. <laughs> And, and you can do things you didn't think you could do, but uh, but the way you feel minus the adrenaline is I'm done. I'm just done. I'm not moving. I've had it. I'm exhausted. I can't do another thing. Well, Paul said, I've been in all of these places. I know what these stresses feel like. And uh, I am focusing my attention on Jesus Christ and the eternal weight of glory. How do we keep the faith? How do we keep faith and press on when life is beating you down? And maybe you're in one of those times and the stresses of life have stretched you to the breaking point. How do you keep going? How do you keep it together? How do you remain strong in faith when you feel like you don't have anything left to give? Well, I'm going to give some ideas this morning that I think have their foundation in Scripture. Uh, certainly they can all be found in Scripture. These, this list is not exhaustive. Uh, there may be other ideas uh, that you can find in Scripture there may be other points to be given, but there, there are some areas that I thought were important for us uh, to consider. And frankly, these areas are ones that I've been meditating on myself uh, recently. First of all, we need to recognize contributing and complicating factors and give ourselves time to recover. Um, did I ask this a minute ago? Have you seen that um, stress Profile? Did I just ask you that? Okay, good. Uh, I did ask the eight o'clock group, and it was a different place in the message. But have you ever seen that um, inventory that you can take that says, "Have you had any of these following things happen to you in the last twelve months?" And you know, it's things like, um, "Have you experienced a financial reversal? Have you signed a mortgage?" Have you made another significant financial commitment? Have you experienced a divorce? Um, have you had a major illness? Uh, and it just kind of goes on through. Th How many of you have seen that? You know what I'm talking about. There's actually 300 possible points, I think, on the test. And um, what they have discovered is by uh, studying people that have been through these things, they have assigned a point value 
to uh, what would be kind of like the average stressor a person would experience going through this. And then they made the list up. And they've said, if, if you score X number of points on this test, something in your life is at risk of breaking. You're going to get sick, or you're going to get depressed, or you're going to have some kind of uh, emotional and mental um, you know, breakdown, or something is going to go off the wire because you have pushed your physical body and your emotional strength beyond what the average person can stand in, the, in a given period of time. Now, I have good news for you. The good news is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Scripture says God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear. And may I say to you that, that, doesn't, that that's true no matter what you score on the test. You know, you can, you can really blow it off the charts and still God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear because He Himself will make a way of escape that you can endure it. God is faithful to His children to give us uh, the, the strength from the power of the Holy Spirit to endure. However, that does not mean that we do not feel the stresses keenly. And one of the things that we need to recognize is that we, when we have been through very stressful experiences, we don't need to voluntarily add stress to our lives. You know, there can be good stresses as well as bad stresses, but one of the things that, uh, that psychologists who study these things have learned is that stress is stress is stress. I mean, even when it's a good stressor, if there's too much of it, it's too much of a good thing. <laughs> you know, you can, you can add too much in. So what do I mean by that? Well, don't take on new projects. Uh, don't make a major change in your life if you can avoid it. Don't... Um, you know, go sign a mortgage or, or move or do something that upends your life in another way. When you're already in the pressure cooker, don't take on more kinds of things that are only going to further complicate your life. Now, one of the things that happens, unfortunately, is many times we get into these stressed out modes because we've already had more thrown at us than we think we can handle. We're already kind of beginning to bend under the weight of it. But it makes no sense to voluntarily compound it by adding to it. Secondly, while we don't want to add stress, we do want to add rest. I have a hard time with this one. Um, those who know me well jokingly call me sometimes Rescue Ranger. Um, sometimes, instead of talking about the Savior and offering Him, I want to be the Savior. I kind of get my role confused with Jesus on occasion, and, and I feel like I've got to get into the middle of everything and be the answer guy, you know, that the shell answer man. Except I'm the Jesus answer man, I'm going to... I'm going to come and have an answer. But the reality is I'm not God. And I can't meet everybody's need. And I can't even come close to meeting people's need. Uh, and I have to remind myself of that from time to time. 
You're making me laugh. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> Carissa and I have some history along those lines. But um, we think about that, you know, and the reality is we need to give ourselves time to rest. Unfortunately, again, sometimes in the midst of the crucible, it doesn't seem like there is any time to rest. But we need to take what time is available. And we need to make the time if we can't find it normally. You know, some of you have family that are close by that can pitch in and help when you're just kind of at your wit's end and you have family around you. Our family's 1,200 miles away. That is our natural family in the flesh. But you know what? We have a family right here. We are supposed to be here for one another. And sometimes when you get exhausted uh, from lack of rest, it puts you uh, at greater risk in all of these other areas. And all you have to do, it doesn't have to be a terribly bad kind of stress. All you have to do is talk to a mom of the several preschoolers or perhaps a newborn that's colicky. And moms and dads both can discover what it's like to go night after night after night without adequate sleep and still have to keep working and still have to keep house and all those kinds of things. And you know, that's a time when you may need to just send up the SOS to the church family and say, is there anybody out there that could give me some help? Could you come over and watch my kids and just let me take a nap? You know, just take the pressure off of me. Give me a break. This is actually a biblical concept. It's interesting that Elijah, even though you got to question his motivation and what was going on, I'm going to say more than about that in a moment, but after his big showdown with the prophets of Baal and Jezebel says, by golly, if I don't do to you the same thing by this time tomorrow night, my name's not Jezebel. And all of a sudden Elijah is running for his life And you find that the way God ministered to him was providing food and providing rest. And ultimately taking him to a place where he could just have a break. Because he needed that kind of rest. David said, he leads me beside quiet streams. And he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And he restores my soul. David understood that he had to have those kinds of times. You find Jesus at the end of a long day of ministry in a boat in that famous scene where the storm comes up at sea and the disciples think they're just about to go down for sure. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. You know, there's, there's, there's something that every soldier learns, and firefighter too. I, I've never been a soldier, but I've been a firefighter, and I understand, uh, you know, the, the mentality. You sleep when you can, you eat when you can, because you never know when it's going to get interrupted, and you may not see the bed or the kitchen for a good long while. You know, you do what you can when you can't. Jesus understood that. Jesus slept when he could, and he ate when he could, because 
He never knew when the ministry was going to place unusual demands on his body. We need fellowship and spiritually minded companions, even though our inclination may be to withdraw. For some of you, this is a particular problem. Because your tendency when you get under stress is to back away. You want to avoid people. You want to go hibernate somewhere. Um, I relate with you because I'm wired a lot like that. In fact, when life looks to me like the glass is half empty and the clouds are all dark, and uh, I can't see any uh, positive stuff going on out there, and I tend to be kind of drained and closing in, I, I feel like I'm toxic around people. Even if it isn't true, my sense is that I'm bringing garbage into their lives, and I'd be better just better off hibernating somewhere. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm a, a social pariah and I just need to avoid people. That's my tendency. But the reality is we need people. We need to be around spiritual companions at that time. We need to be around people that will point us to Christ. We need to be around people that will make us laugh, frankly. We need to be around people that will buoy our spirit in the right sense of what I'm saying. That will lift us up spiritually. That will give encouragement and exhortation. And every once in a while a good slap in the face to say, come on, get it straight. You know, focus. We don't need to withdraw. We went over that several weeks ago when we were talking about keys to spiritual development. The Scripture says in Hebrews 10, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And the tougher it gets, the more you need it. You need to be around people that are going to help you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. We cannot be islands. We will suffer if we try to go it alone. We need to realize when we're in the pressure cooker of life under tremendous stress, exhausted, burnt out, physically challenged in whatever ways, that we are also at our most vulnerable for temptation. And we tend to break at the level of our weakest Link. Are you aware of that? That chains <laughs> break at their weakest link? Always. It's always true. Uh, if you put it under enough stress, where it's going to come apart, where there's a bad weld. That's what's going to happen. And we tend to break in the area of our weakest link. One of the things that happens to us is we have a tendency to focus on the difficulties because they demand our attention. When you're in pain, pain dominates your thinking. It's very difficult to imagine that it doesn't. Those of you that, that have uh, cardiac issues, if you're having arrhythmias and uh, throwing PVCs, if you have them, you know what I'm talking about. 
and you feel like your heart's going to lurch into your throat and fall out of your mouth occasionally, it's very hard not to think about that. That demands your attention. (laughs) You know, if your toe hurts, it's hard to walk without being reminded of your toe. And in some of the huge issues of life, when you're in the midst of it, if you have a loved one in intensive care, they're there. And you can't change that. You just have to deal with it. And it's always in front of you. It never goes away until their condition changes. And if you're in financial distress and the bill collectors are ringing your phone ten times a day and everybody wants to get paid, it's hard to, to, to not jump when the phone rings. That's the way problems tend to be. They, they demand our attention. But the Scripture says that in the midst of that, we must make a conscious and deliberate effort to fix our attention on Jesus Christ. Because if we don't make that conscious effort, the other thing is going to rule us. We have a tendency to find someone to blame for our problems. We look for people that will be scapegoats, or maybe we blame ourselves, or we blame God. You know, I mean, that's always the fallback, you know. It must be God's fault. He could have stopped this, so it's, it's His problem, and He did this to me. But the problem is, when you go there, you're going to just simply project a lot of false guilt, and ultimately, if you choose God as your scapegoat, you're going to disintegrate into bitterness. And the Scripture says, take care and watch that a root of bitterness does not spring up, because if it does, many will be defiled. You talk about being toxic. You will be toxic. If you develop bitterness, you will be toxic. You're going to damage many people beside yourself. And, and you're going to make mistakes. And you're going to sin. And you're going to do those things that are only going to compound the problem. Friends, sometimes people are to blame. And whether it's you or someone else, the only thing, the only remedy I know for that is forgiveness. I was just I was reading the Corinthian letters this week, and I was reading about Paul, where he talked about the fellow that had just made a mess in the church, uh, and part of the reason for his writing his first letter. And so he's writing the second letter, and he says, "You dealt with the problem, and I'm so proud of you. You 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 finally uh, brought this situation under control, and now there's been repentance." And, and then he says this. I mean, this guy had caused a lot of grief, but this is what he says. It is important that you forgive him and open your arms to restore him. It is important that you do that, lest you expose yourself to sin. Do you realize that if you don't forgive, you're putting yourself at risk? And the people around you. So even if there is someone to blame, 
you've got to come to terms with forgiveness. Because if you don't forgive, you're going to be at risk yourself with that bitterness that springs up and causes many to be defiled. We are most prone to fail when we're tempted at our weakest point. If you look at the lives, and and these people are God's heroes. You know what I'm saying? These These are the great heroes of the faith. They all had feet of clay. They all experienced failure. Abraham had a tendency to tell lies to avoid risk. He told the same lie about his wife twice with the same kind of results. It's like, duh. But every time Abraham got in a big jam, his tendency was to tell a lie. He was the friend of God. He was, he was a man following God. But when he took his eyes off of that, and here's something we need to recognize We are born-again followers of Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have been transformed. We have had God's radical change in our lives. But if we take our eyes off of Him and slip back into the mode of the flesh, we are not any different than the day before we were saved. We're that same person apart from Jesus Christ. And... Abraham messed up in a predictable way. Moses, I've told you before, he had anger management problems. He blew his cool and killed an Egyptian. That's how come he ended up in the desert in the first place. And throughout his life, losing his temper was a weakness for him. In the end, when he struck the rock twice, It kept him from entering the promised land. You can't afford to lose your temper and let it get away with you. Moses, because of his weakness, that was his tendency. Elijah was a man of spiritual and emotional depression. He was a great prophet. But, you know, one of the characteristics of prophets is they tend to see the problems. They tend to focus on the, the, the needs of the culture. They focus on the sins of the culture. That's where their eyes are drawn. And because of that, because they tend to, to be problem-oriented, they tend to see everything in shades of gray and dismal, and, and it's all going to the dogs. They, they don't tend to have that uh, uplifting kind of perspective. And apart from the grace of God, you know, these guys have trouble. It's kind of like a police officer. I don't know if you've ever known police officers very closely, but um, I've spent a few hours in squad rooms. And I'll tell you what, the, the humor is a little different. The view of life is a little jaded. And it's that way because day in and day out, shift after shift, They're not dealing with the upstanding, righteous, law-abiding citizens who are altruistic and full of uh, mercy and compassion. They're dealing with the seamy side of the town. They're dealing with the people that you can't turn your back on. 
They're dealing with the people that just as soon shoot you as look at you. They're constantly immersed in that quality of life that you tend to forget that the whole community is not this way. But everyone begins to look like a perpetrator of one sort or another. And I'm not being critical because years ago I was in that position and I understand from the inside out. You've got to pay attention. You've got to stay on your toes. You cannot trust the people that you're called to protect and serve if you want to go home at the end of the day. And so it develops a mindset. And that was kind of where Elijah was. So his weakness, when pressures build up in his life, he got depressed. And that's where you find him after this whole big deal with Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. He's out there and all you have to do is listen to him. You know, I've done all these great things for you and... Now Jezebel's threatened my life, and I'm the only one left that loves you, God. There's nobody else in all of Israel, and I'm about to get killed myself. You know, I mean, that's, that's where he is. That's not true. But that's how he felt, because that was his weakness. Peter, Peter, uh, was prone to betrayal. You know, I know Judas was the betrayer, but look at Peter. Denied Christ, denied he ever knew him. Twenty-something years later in Antioch, he's still doing it. You know, he gets confronted by the Judaizers from Jerusalem, and he's been having a big time with the Gentiles, and Paul has to confront him openly. Peter, what are you doing? Because all of a sudden, he turned tail and started acting like a Judaizer again. David had a problem with sexual lust. Bathsheba just happened to be the capstone of his weakness because it was frank adultery and murder. But she was not his only problem. If you read David's life story with your eyes open, you see that he had a weakness in this arena. And when we come under particular kinds of stresses, and by the way, his failure with Bathsheba happened to be when everything was going well. But in this, in the cases of life, when we're in the pressure cooker, we are most vulnerable at our point of weakness. And we have got to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ because of the risk. God encourages us to take specific action when life has gotten us down. First of all, he says, don't worry. He doesn't say, don't worry, be happy. He says, don't worry. Pray. Bring everything to me in prayer. Talk it over with me. I care about you. You know, and and God really cares. He cares about our anxieties. He cares about our needs. I will be candid and tell you there are times when I don't even know how to pray, but fortunately the Scripture even has a remedy for that. Paul says sometimes we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit comes alongside. 
And I went home Friday night, and I was so tired, and I was I was just done. It was one of those times when I couldn't have gotten out of the house if it was burning down, I don't think. As soon as I walked in the door, I just laid down on the bed and fell asleep almost instantly. But before I did, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm just done. I can't think. I can't focus. I don't even know what to say to you. But I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to come and rescue me. I need you to be what I, what, what I need. I don't even know what it is. And two and a half hours later, I woke up. Attitude adjustment already starting to develop. And God was beginning to meet me at levels that I couldn't even put my finger on. He knows how to do that. Bring him the problem. That's what he says. Pray about it. Bring him the sacrifice of praise. It's literally called that. You know, sometimes it is a sacrifice to praise. You don't feel like it. You don't want to. You don't feel like you've got it in you. But it's time to sing. It's time to praise the Lord. It's time to worship and give Him the sacrifice of a grateful heart. You say, I don't feel grateful. Well, that's the next step. (laughs) Look around at what you can be thankful for. These are choices, you know. People say, I can't do that. I don't feel like it. Hold the phone. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the power of God living in you. If God tells you something you ought to do, He will give you the power to do it. All He is waiting for is you to say, Yes, Lord, I will. And He will come alongside And give you the grace. Do you think after Paul and Silas had their backs filleted with the Roman whip. And then were chained down in the bowels of a dungeon. That they wanted to sing. But they were singing praises to God at midnight. It was so astounding the jail fell apart. (laughs) You read the story. And God met them in a powerful way. The jail may not always fall apart, but the shackles of despair are broken with the sacrifice of praise and a grateful heart. Do not withdraw from the work of ministry. I I said earlier we need to give ourselves time to rest, and we do. But by the same token, we don't need to withdraw you know, Jesus, and the story of him at, with the woman at the well, you remember the background to that? He and his disciples were coming up on the well, and he was so tired, he said to his disciples, fellas, go to town and buy some food. Bring it back here. I, just, I can't go another step. And he stopped there by the well. And then, this lady shows up. 
Well, they wouldn't have called her a lady. She showed up at that time of day because the other women didn't want to be around her. She had a very bad reputation. And um, Jesus engaged her in conversation. And as he began to talk to her, he ministered to her the words of eternal life. And her life was changed profoundly. About that time, the disciples showed up again with bread. Lord, we brought you something to eat. (laughs) He says, thank you so much, but I don't really need it now. And it was like, you couldn't even take another step a little while ago. Would somebody bring him something to eat? And he said, I have food to eat that you really don't know anything about yet. That food was to do the will of his father. And in performing ministry, being available to God, God restored his spirit. Paul on the island of Malta, shipwrecked, (laughs) washed up on the beach. I mean, sometimes we read these Bible stories and they're, they're Bible stories. It's like, you know, reading Aesop's fables or something, I think, in our mind. We just, we just don't get it. We fail to put human reality into the event. They've been shipwrecked. They've been in the water. They're cold. They get to the shore. They make a fire. The locals come around them. They're hungry. They're tired. They're worn out. And then, to add insult to injury, Paul goes to throw a log on the fire, and there's a poisonous snake in the woodpile, and it bites him. It's like, oh, man, add snake bite to the whole deal. And he shakes the viper off, he throws the log on the fire, and he's continuing to talk about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus when he's done in. And, you know, the locals are just waiting for him to drop over dead because nobody survives that snake bite. And after a while, they realize nothing's happening. And then they recognize that they're witnessing a miracle. And Paul, in the power of God, is instrumental in bringing revival and bringing spiritual renewal to those people. When that was probably, maybe it wasn't the last thing on his mind. But he was done, and there was the power of God. Well, you know what, it took me just as long this time as it did the first time. I don't know. Well, anyway, I hope this is helpful to you. I hope that you can take it home and put it to practice. And if you're in the pressure cooker, keep the faith. God will be faithful to you. Father, thank you for your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Carrie, I don't see anybody beating the door down, so we're, <laughs> we're good. Okay. <laughs>